I've been given the opportunity to lead AFB and uh, it's just a once in a lifetime opportunity. There's no other organization in the field like AFB. And, uh, you know, I have really been focused on um, changing the landscape for people who are blind to the best of my ability. From the Outreach Department at the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired in Austin, Texas, this is A Sense of Texas. Here is your host, Emily Coleman. Welcome to A Sense of Texas. I'm Emily Coleman. 2021 marks the 100th anniversary of the American Foundation for the Blind. Dr. Kirk Adams, their president and CEO, joins us to share more about their org and how they're celebrating. Kirk became blind as a kindergartner, attended the Oregon School for the Blind to learn Braille and cane travel, and quickly transitioned to public school. His experiences as a child, college student, and employment seeker could be an episode of its own. Eventually, Kirk found his way to the Seattle Lighthouse, which expanded in many ways under his leadership. We're jumping right in with how he ended up as the current leader at AFB. Um, when I first went to work at the Lighthouse, um, the person who hired me said, if you want to know the blindness field, you need to go to the AFB leadership conference. So I attended my first AFB leadership conference in 2001 in D.C. And it was called Telling Our Story with Statistics. And there were university researchers there and really highly capable blind individuals. And Carl Augusto, the CEO, Paul Schrader was the VP. Mark Reichert was the public policy guy. So, you know, I, I had not honestly been around um, a lot of successfully employed um, professional blind adults. That was new for me. Mm-hmm. So I never missed a conference. I went every year. I went to 15 in a row before I uh, became part of AFP staff. And uh, I was asked to join a program committee, maybe about 2010 or so. And then I was asked to join the board of trustees. And then sort of similar to my experience at the Lighthouse, um, Carl Augusto uh, pulled me aside at a conference and said, I'm going to retire May 2016, and I think you're the person to lead AFB into its second century, and I hope you would consider putting your name forward. So when the time came, I resigned from the board and put my name forward to the search firm and uh, went went through an arduous uh, interview and selection process, but was I, I've been given the opportunity to lead AFB, and uh, it's just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. There's no other organization in the field like AFB, and uh, you know, I have really been focused on um, changing the landscape for people who are blind to the best of my ability. I um, started a PhD program in 2010, so I have a doctorate in leadership and change, and I'm able to really put what I've learned to use um, at AFB. And we have our centennial year this year, so it gives us a really unique opportunity to um, you know, focus on uh, the work we're doing, uh, get get more attention this year than we probably normally would because of the centennial. So I um, just feel very fortunate that all of, these, all of these various threads came together. Yeah, you have a lot of great background to play into some of the work that 
that AFB has done, is doing, and will be doing. Um, you know, you talk about it hitting its centennial. So can you share a little bit about the history of AFB yeah. in the last yeah. 100 years? So um, AFB was created by the professionals in the blindness field in 1921. There were two associations, the Association of Instructors for the Blind, which were mostly teachers at the residential schools, like the one I attended in Oregon. And then Association of Workers for the Blind. And those were professionals who um, you know, ran sheltered workshops and homes for the blind and asylums for the blind. And uh, just by the names of the organizations, uh, you, you can tell we've, we've, come, we've come quite a ways uh, since 1921. But um, both of those organizations had conventions every other year. And in 1919 and 1920, they both agreed to put forward leadership and resources to create a new central nonprofit that would uh, use data and research and convene conversation to identify the greatest barriers faced by blind people, the greatest opportunities for inclusion. They didn't necessarily use this language, but that's, that's what they were talking about. Mm -hmm. And to speak in the corridors of power on behalf of people who are blind. <laughs> so, um, AFB was formed, and, and we're, we're still here to do exactly that. Um, again, we're very unique. We're not a membership organization like the Federation or the Council. Mm -hmm. uh, very supportive of both of those organizations. But we're a private nonprofit. We have a board of trustees um, that represent um, a lot of different subject matter experts, and um, it's a national-level board. And... We have a very broad charter. It's just basically make the lives of blind people in America better. Mm -hmm. And uh, we get to decide what that means mm -hmm. at any given time. So very involved uh, in the 1930s in standing up the Talking Book Program. Um, AFB actually worked with the recording industry to develop the 33 and a third RPM long playing phonograph record hmm. for recording books for people who are blind. Um had a manufacturing facility in Manhattan employing lots of blind people to make the talking book machines. Uh, Helen Keller was hired in 1924, which is a good move. She was the <laughs> brand ambassador until 1968. Yeah. And she and her good friend, Eleanor Roosevelt, um, were very instrumental in the creation of the National Library Service for the Blind, the distribution of talking books and braille books to blind people across the country. She um, traveled state to state, and uh, many of many of the commissions for the blind, state agencies, and uh, community-based nonprofits were, were created with Helen's uh, as a cat with Helen as a catalyst. Um, always involved in legislation and public policy. We've had a public policy office in the D.C. area, always led by a blind person since the 1940s. Um, had a engineering. Um, AFB Tech, AFB Engineering, that created some of the first talking appliances, first talking bathroom scale, and first talking blood pressure monitor and those types of things. Mm -hmm. And so when the um, industry started thinking about making um, their products accessible, uh, Apple, Google, Microsoft, Facebook, you know, many of them reached out to AFB. And... Uh, Actually, Darren Burton, who was our head of AFB technology, um, left us and went to Yahoo for five years and is now back working with us part-time. 
He was the first blind person ever to use voiceover on an iPhone. Wow, so that's he was, he was, quite he was an the honor. test. Yeah, he was the <laughs> test. Yeah, he was the test case. So, um, so IFB has some really great long-term relationships um, with organizations in the blindness field, with corporate America, with with governmental agencies. So, so really, again, a, just a unique position that IFB is in. Yeah. And I came on board May 2016. We um, went through a really good, thorough strategic planning process. Um, we'd, we'd gotten kind of diffuse over the 97 years or 96 years up until that point. So we were trying to do too many things, not doing um, them as well as we wanted. So we um, got really clear that we wanted to focus on systems change and really changing the landscape. And uh, we had a number of programs that were excellent, um, but didn't really fit that model. So we found new homes. Um, family of websites that that uh, American Printing House for the Blind now um, manages Career Connect, Family Connect, Vision Aware, um, AFB Press, which public publishes textbooks for university programs preparing professionals for the blindness field. Um, we transitioned to a- APH as well. Uh, transition our Center for Vision Loss in Dallas to the Dallas Lighthouse for the Blind. Uh, transitioned our e-learning to Mississippi State, and then uh, you know really got focused on how can we have the greatest impact with the resources we have, the staff, the funds, the relationships, the brand, and so we're really really focusing on employment. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, our theme for the centennial year is inclusion knows no limits, and um, we're really looking at transformation, equity, inclusion of people who are blind and employment as uh, the lens through through which we're looking at everything. Yeah, you you know what I really appreciated was that after your strategic planning in 2016, you made a real concerted effort to make sure that all of your work didn't just go away and found new homes instead of just disbanding. And so... As a, you know, as a, somebody that uses most of those resources, um, we're, we were all very appreciative of those efforts, for sure. Yeah, I think it's just in keeping with the values of AFB and uh, the reason we were, we're, we were created is to support the entire field and to um, be really intentional and uh, thoughtful about making sure those uh, programs and assets continue to be available for people without in, without interruption. So I'm pretty proud of that. Yeah. Now, you mentioned um, that Helen Keller was an employee of AFB. And earlier you had said something about you guys are all working on a documentary. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. Yeah. So as part of our centennial, we, we felt that a uh, top quality documentary film about Helen Keller that would be seen by many, many people um, would would be a good step forward in creating the awareness in the general public that blind people are highly capable, that living with um, deafness and blindness gives individuals an opportunity to develop the characteristics that uh, in particular employers say they want, creative problem solving and resilience and grit and uh, being able to analyze and manage risk and being able to work in teams and all, all of those things. So we uh, have engaged with a documentary filmmaker and we really want to take a look at 
how Helen Keller's thinking and writing and philosophies and values mm-hmm. translate into this century. Mm-hmm. And it's, su- it's super exciting. We just have revealed our um, seven or eight minute trailer that, that gives a, a taste of what the documentary will be like. And if people want to go to afb.org, you can watch that trailer. We are raising funds to pay for the production. Our dear friend Gordon Gund, a blind gentleman uh, who started Foundation Fighting Blindness and uh, used to own the Cleveland Cavaliers, he oh. has made a challenge, challenge grant to us. Um, it'll cost about four hundred thousand dollars to make the documentary. If we if we when when we raise three hundred thousand, he'll write us a, hmm. a check for a hundred thousand. We are making the film, and then it will be licensed to streaming services: uh, Netflix, Amazon Prime, um, the, high, the highest bidders, and uh, that will generate um, revenue that we can then use. AFB can then use to do. Um, to do what we do, which is research and public policy and developing blind leaders and, and uh, those, those types of things that we do. So it's a, it's kind of a win, win, win. The, yeah. the film will be out there. It will help people understand the capabilities of people who are blind. It will highlight our centennial and our history and uh, continue to establish AFB as the historic, the uh, kind of the iconic organization that we are. And it'll also generate income. So can't beat that. Now, you you mentioned this is part of the centennial, and uh, I know you guys are uh, planning a lot of virtual events, and usually you have your leadership conference every spring. Um, I've I've been an avid attendee for the last eight or nine years, and this year it's going virtual with some other uh, ways. So what all do you have planned? Yeah, so go to afb.org slash 100, afb.org afb.org slash 100 and all the centennial events will be there our first on uh, february 11 um Mas- blind master chef christine ha she won master chef season three she is uh and these are all archived so oh, great. anyone can watch them anytime so she uh, cooks a fabulous meal um shows us how to do it the recipes are there to download so you can cook them yourselves Dr. Hobie Wedler, who's a blind uh, PhD in chemistry and is a winemaker in Napa. He is talking about the wine pairings, and there's a link where you can order the wine. And then Marcus Roberts, who is a uh, professional, um, uh, he's blind, he's a professional jazz pianist. He's he's curated a Spotify playlist. So the idea is you you can watch it, then you can uh, cook cook the dinner, drink the wine, listen to the music, and uh, enjoy it with close family and friends. And it's being moderated by Russell Schaefer, who's a blind executive with Walmart, our, our immediate past board chair. Mm-hmm. And there'll be six events total. March 4th is a gala called The Art of Inclusion with uh, some musical guests whom uh, many of you will, will recognize when, when you watch it. And uh, really talking about the history of AFB, where we've been, where we're at, and, and where we're going. There will be a conversation uh, later on in the year about blind women in leadership there will be some um, discussion of the intersection of racism and ableism there'll be some focus on what what we think the future of work looks like and uh, i think they're they're all going to be excellent and uh, we we invite everyone listening to go to afb.org 
afb.org slash 100 and uh, register. They're all free. They're uh, all going to be, uh, I think, very interesting and enlightening. And uh, the more, the merrier. So aside from, you know, this virtual event and maybe opportunities moving forward, uh, how do you think AFB or your initiatives might change after this COVID business is behind us? Well, I think employment will remain will remain our focus for quite some time. Mm-hmm. We're looking at a couple of things. We've we we are a research based organization, so we're we're privileged to have PhD researchers on staff, and we can really dig into to um, areas of interest, and we can also generate data, which helps us when we're talking to elected officials and funders, where we can can actually you know, show show some hard hard data to support the initiatives that we're, we're recommending. We think that although the pandemic has been terribly disruptive and caused so much grief and tragedy, uh, it will also open up some opportunities um, in the world of employment for people who are blind as virtual work is, has become normalized. And um, we, we don't believe that workplace will ever return to everybody going into an office every day. There'll be much more remote work, which um, if positioned correctly can really open up opportunities for people who are blind as employers look to make their virtual work environments more efficient and effective for everybody. And there's more attention paid to accessibility of tools, et cetera. So we're excited about that. Mm-hmm. We're also really um, putting a focus on uh, registered apprenticeship programs. There's just a lot of success happening in uh, apprenticeship programs, both um, by corp- corporations and, and the, the, the federal and state governments. So, you know, the, the, I guess the premise is you don't necessarily need a four-year degree to be successful in lots of different careers. And there's formal, structured apprenticeship programs, which is earned to learn. So, if a person's in an apprenticeship program; they're being paid. There's a, a formal education piece. There's typically a mentoring piece. There's a certification at the end, which is transferable uh, across whatever industry it is. And, uh, you know, some recent numbers showed that out of, uh, you know, 800,000 placements by by VR across the country, less than 200 people um, with disabilities were placed into apprenticeship programs. So uh, people with disabilities are just very, very underrepresented in these programs. You know, most were started to to address the inequities in race and gender in, in professions, but we're having uh, conversations about how to expand that scope and how to work with organizations and companies to make their apprenticeship programs more inclusive of people who are blind. So that's very exciting. Yeah. Blind leaders development. Um, again, research shows, uh, as we said before, only three out of 10 working age blind adults are in the workforce, which is about half the workforce participation rate of the general population and uh, in a much narrower band of occupations and uh, much uh, lower kind of salary salary rates and not not seeing the movement up the career ladder and up the, the org chart uh, that, that we see in the general population. So we started a blind leaders development program. We're just wrapping up year one and we'll have a centennial cohort uh, of about 20 blind individuals. It's uh, designed to be a career accelerator. So it's for blind people who have been working, are working uh, between two and eight years. 
uh, matched with a, a blind mentor, a person who has had a longer uh, successful um, career path. And then we're using, we, again, evidence-based, we're using um, a curriculum based on the book, a book called The Leadership Challenge uh, by Kuzis and Postner. And uh, they have done 30 years of research and identified uh, 30 leadership behaviors that when, uh, when people exhibit these, these behaviors, they're, they're uh, shown to be effective leaders. So each um, participant takes a leadership practices inventory assessment and gets a report. So you get a report, you see where your um, strengths are, where you could, could work on improvement. They're divided into um, six categories. So there, we, we have a master certified LPI trainer. There are six um, webinars for the group. There's individual monthly coaching one-on-one. Uh, there's a very structured uh, mentor-mentee uh, element to the program. And uh, again, using research, we did, we've done baseline um, data gathering, we'll do that with each cohort, and then we'll track people as they progress through their careers. And uh, obviously, we'll have a, a alumni group. Mm-hmm. So, uh, three, four, five years down the road, we'll we'll have dozens and dozens of, uh, of folks who have gone through the program, and we will be matching people up with leadership development opportunities. And uh, we we feel really excited about that. So it sounds like you're already future planning, which is awesome. Um, but if you could look down the road another hundred years to, <laughs> you know, what positive changes would you like to see in the lives of blind people? Yeah. Well, I'd like us to be out of business in a hundred years. Um, <laughs> AFB, you know, really, right? <laughs> yeah, AFB. Yeah. Um, you know, the goal is to have the outcomes for people who are blind be the same as the outcomes for uh, everybody else. So mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's a matter of thriving mm-hmm. as a human being. What does thriving you know, mean to each individual? How do they reach their full potential, um, be satisfied, um, enjoy life, move through the challenges, the joys and sadnesses of, of, of life? Um, you know, when high school, when, when uh, blind kids are reading at the same grade level as sighted kids and high school graduation rates are the same and you know, blind college students are getting the same uh, kind of wide spectrum of degrees that sighted college students are getting, and you know the employment rates are the same. Then, then, then we'll 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 have done good. Yeah. Um. We these these barriers to um, success in these areas are really stubborn and been really difficult to tackle. I think there's lots of encouraging signs. There's just so much more talk about accessibility now. Um, you know, it was kind of foreign language, you know, 20, 25 years ago. Now lots of people are talking about accessibility, um, inclusion. You hear people talking about inclusion. You hear people talking about systemic barriers, you know, things like black lives matter and, um, you know, talking about uh, institutional racism and, uh, you know, that we can broaden that conversation to talk about institutional ableism. So, mm-hmm. you know, talking to people, it's kind of reminiscent of maybe 30 years ago when people started talking about sustainability, environmental sustainability, when people started talking about green and make the green choice and uh, 
carbon footprint and, uh, you know, zero waste stream. I mean, those, those were unfamiliar, uncommon terms, you know, 30 years ago. And now that now, now they're very common and, you know, it's, it's, it's market driven and consumer driven. And we know that given, given, uh, all things being the same, people will make the environmentally sustainable choice, um, when they, when they make purchases and, uh, accessibility is feeling like that. Mm-hmm. Um, there's just, I say over the past, gosh, five years, seven years, there's just been so much more focus. Companies are including disability, um, when they have their diversity and inclusion statements, uh, companies are creating employee resource groups, focus on disability, you know, back, back in the day when, Facebook had AFB technology come out to Silicon Valley and do a three-day in-service on accessibility. They, they had one, one person who was the accessibility guy, yeah. Jeff Wheeland, he's still <laughs> there, and he was kind of doing it on the side. And now, you know, it's a big, robust department. Yeah. You know, uh, every working group has accessibility folks in it. If you, um, yeah. you know, I'm here in Seattle, if you go across the lake and go to the know redmond campus of microsoft there's you know there's literally hundreds of blind people working there yeah so it has really changed and uh, we just want to at afb continue to build on that momentum and keep working to make sure that uh in our our case blindness and low vision is is our focus so we want to make sure considerations of blindness and low vision are um, in these conversations that our, our issues are represented when people are around the table talking about inclusion. And, uh, you know, we're talking about there's a lot of big world problems, yeah. like uh, climate change, for instance. And right. uh, we need everybody to be able to contribute their unique talents. We need everybody to be able to bring their best, highest self um, you know, to work and in, into the community. So it's, it's exciting. It's yeah. exciting times. Do you know an infant or toddler in Texas who may have a vision problem? They may qualify for free services. Support from a teacher of students with visual impairment may increase a child's success in school and life. Call 817-740-7530 to find out more. That's 817-740-7530. I loved working with AFB while writing for FamilyConnect.org alongside my blog boss, Scott Truax. Because of that work, I've been able to see their Helen Keller archives, attend their conferences, and meet their team. And it's true that they have and will continue to expand possibilities for the blind community. Be sure to check out their centennial events. From TSBVI Outreach and A Sense of Texas, I'm Emily Coleman. See you next time. This has been a presentation of the Texas School for the Blind and Visually Impaired Outreach Department. If you have any questions or suggestions for topics to cover in future episodes, please contact us at podcast at tsbvi.edu.